Here are the details of tonight's programmes. At 7.30, there's the first of a new series of music programmes in which you are invited to sing along with Crazy Otto Klemperer. <laughs> Following this, there will be a discussion between Adam Faith and the Archbishop of Canterbury in the series Stars and Gators. <laughs> and then there's yet another edition of that popular programme, Any Questions, which this week comes from the public loo at Bath... Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I beg your pardon, the public bath at Lou. <laughs> Meanwhile, for those of you who are more easily pleased, here's 30 minutes of star-studded rubbish as Kenneth Horne takes you round the hall. those of you who missed last week's episode, here is the story so far. In this thrill-packed Farrago, we left tough, granite-faced secret agent Betty Marsden being tortured by the inscrutable Japanese upholsterer Kenneth Williams <laughs> and his almond-eyed cohort, scrutable Hugh Paddock, who, as you may remember, was scruted last week <laughs> by the intrepid Inspector Bill Pertwee of the Yard, he of the eagle eye, hawk nose and pigeon chest. <laughs> Meanwhile at the opium den, a victim of the dreadful habit Stirs uneasily in his sleep and tossing fitfully on his bunk Croaks out the words My name's Kenneth Horn. <laughs> Hello and welcome oh, Thank you very much, sir Thank you Hello and welcome to Round the Horn Incidentally, uh, Douglas Smith appears by permission of the Bishop Storford branch of the Ghana Women's Institute. <laughs> well, now, first of all, here are the answers to last week's quiz. Well, now, the answer to question one was 30 shillings a night. The answer to question... <laughs> question two, well, the odd man out was the cheese sandwich. The cheese sandwich. All the rest were, of course, film stars. <laughs> Caught a lot of you on the wrong foot, that did. And the other answers were a crusty loaf, tuppence back on the bottle, Mandy Rice Davies, a Himalayan goat, and the puzzle picture, of course, was a bird's-eye view of an orangutan's tonsil. <laughs> well, now, seriously, and to work, ladies and gentlemen, today marks the anniversary of the birth of Isambard Kingdom Fortinbras, the father of the doorknob. Now, until Isambard stumbled across his ingenious invention, people who found themselves inside a room couldn't get out and just hung about in surly groups looking baffled and muttering to each other, how can we get out? There's no doorknob. Well, there's no telling how long the situation would have gone on if young Isambard hadn't come along. He'd always been sort of an inventive turn of mind, having, when quite young, invented the hand-operated bicycle pump for which there was little demand since bicycles hadn't yet been thought of. <laughs> In those days, people rode horses, and there was little call for a horse pump. <laughs> In fact, any attempt to pump up a horse is doomed to failure. <laughs> At least that's what I've always found. Anyway, as I was saying before I so rudely interrupted myself, one day he was sitting in a brown study which adjoined his pink bathroom, when the thought struck him, why not a doorknob? And for years he worked developing and perfecting his design until finally there it was on paper, the blueprint for the perfect doorknob. Unfortunately, his plans came to nothing because he couldn't get out of the room to tell anybody about it. <laughs> oh, well, I thought I'd just mention it. No, 
And now to matters of more immediate concern. Continuing our policy of fearless and outspoken satirical comment, we shall give you the true facts about people in the public eye withholding nothing. Harold Wilson sleeps in his pyjamas. <laughs> City is really a glove puppet manipulated by Harry Corbett. It's a lie. A scurrilous lie. It's Wilfred Bramble in a skin. <laughs> Richard Dimbleby is the real father of David Dimbleby. Richard Dimbleby is the Luton Girls Choir in a skin. <laughs> Diana Dawes is really a woman. In a skin. <laughs> now, those of you at home probably think the studio laughter you hear from time to time is spontaneous, but if you listen closely, you'll find that the audience on all radio shows sounds curiously the same. Well, actually, the laughter is the work of a highly trained group of men and women whose job it is to infiltrate into every BBC studio audience. In a skin. In a skin. No, not in a skin, no. This week, in the section of our show devoted to the boys in the back room of the BBC... Are you still in there? <laughs> we are going to consider the work of this group, the BBC Cluck, and listen in as they are briefed before going into action. Right, old chaps, right, old simmer down now. Now, you all know why you're here. All experts in the art of making BBC shows a success, and heaven knows that's a difficult enough job. You've all seen a lot of action. Some of you are tired and fatigued. After all, some of you have been out on six missions with the Jimmy Clitheroe show alone. <laughs> but even that's no excuse for the falling off of indiscipline. You, Fester, I heard the recording of the show you went out on last night. I distinctly didn't hear your laugh. No, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. I tried. Yeah. I swear I tried. Yeah. I couldn't laugh. It wasn't funny. I, I, think, I think my sense of humour's gone. It's, it's gone. no excuse. <laughs> we have a job to do. And there are precious few of us left to do it. This week we've got the toughest assignment we've ever been given. The Kenneth Horn show. Oh, it's hell out there. Not that! It's more Not than flesh and blood can stand. I know. I, I took it up with the old man, but he insists we've got to go through with it. I can't order you to go. I'm asking for volunteers. I'll go, sir. You can't go, Gosforth. You've got a wife and kids. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I've talked it over with the fellow, sir, and she's behind me on this. We know... We know... <laughs> we know that the BBC's got to be kept going, sir. It's not so much for us. It's for the youngster. Reg is nearly ten now, sir. He's a fine little chap. And I want him to grow up in a world that's clean and decent and fine. A world that preserves the best things in the British way of life. Twenty questions. Cicely Courtney's Theatre. The Billy Cotton Band Show. Good man, Gosford. I knew I could count on you. Oh, thank you, sir. And, and if I don't come back, look after Phyllis, will you, sir? And see that Reggie gets a request played on children's favourites. You are a very brave man, Captain Gosford. I will go too, sir. No, Francois. Oh, yes. The Kenneth Horn show is no place for a woman. Oh. <laughs> Your job is here writing interminable letters to the Radio Times asking to hear scrapbook for 1926 again. <laughs> but I want to see some action again, sir. I'm sorry, Francoise, you're staying. No. That is an order. Yes, sir. I'd like to go myself, but I can't blast my gammy leg. <laughs> How did you get that, sir? 
It was when I was on active service on those with the days. <laughs> I was trampled on by a horde of old age pensioners during the military two-step. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I didn't know. That's all right, Gosworth. Right. Gosworth, you'll lead the applause. Now, we need someone to cough during the quiet bits. Uh, Patterson? What sort of cough do you want, sir? Do you want a tickle in the throat or a chronic bronchitis? <laughs> well, you'll have to play that one by ear. Uh, right, now, we're still a man short. Uh, Festa. Festa, you've got a good laugh. No, no, sir, not me. Uh, I'll only let you down. No. I've been on two Kenny Thorne shows in the past, sir. You don't know what it's like out there. You don't know what it's like. You can't laugh at it. There's nothing to laugh at. I can't see the jokes. I can't see the jokes. You don't have to see the jokes. Your job is to laugh. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, send me anywhere you like. Put me on any questions again. I'll obey orders this time. I'll ask any stupid questions you like. <laughs> I don't care what I do. I'll even put on a wig and sit in the audience on Easy Beat. <laughs> No, no, I can't. You can't make me. I won't. I won't. I won't. Thank you, sir. I deserve that. (laughs) All right, I'll volunteer. All right, then. Well, that's it, chaps. You know your jobs. Off you go. Good hunting and good luck. Well, Francoise, there they go. And there are thousands like them in studio audiences all over the country, giving their all in the BBC's untiring fight for mastery of the air. Once more into the breach, dear friends, and close the wall up with repeats of under-milk wood. <laughs> we few, we happy clack of brothers, stand still the studio clock at ten to three, Cry God for home and light and network three. Now we come to trends. This is the spot in the show, especially for people who are with it. The teen scene jet set. And I think that sums me up rather well. Now, first of all, fashion. This year, everyone is wearing their skirts three inches above the knee. I'm not. (laughs) The Edna Grunt Boutique is showing a new variation on the topless dress. It's also backless, sideless and bottomless. In fact, it's a pair of cuffs and a belt. Films are still affecting fashion trends. The Tom Jones look, as you may remember, still sweeps the country. Yes, I do remember. After my wife had seen the film, she bought herself a completely new outfit. Now she looks exactly like Hugh Griffith. (laughs) Next, literature. The publication has announced this week of a new satirical magazine, Private Ear, Nose and Throat. Here in the studio is the editor, Mr. Crispian Toad. Mr. Toad, what exactly is the object of your magazine? Well, how can I express it? For instance, how do you feel about sex and violence on the television? I think it's rather uncomfortable. (laughs) 
Yes, it makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? You live in a little cocoon of <laughs> middle-class respectability. Yeah, you're not touched by what's happening in the world. I am. I'm touched. I'm touched. <laughs> I'm touched, I tell you. You don't feel the wind of change blowing through the sacred cows. I do. I feel it. I feel it. I feel the wind. I feel It must be all that acid comment, doesn't it? <laughs> There's no, no need for No, filth. all right, all right. I don't understand why you're attacking me. I'm a pretty liberal, uncommitted sort of person. <laughs> so you say. Yeah, but too. you genuflect before the pillars of the establishment all the same. All right. I've seen you at it on the floor. Genuflect. <laughs> all right. Genuflect. Yes, all right. I've seen you do it. All right, sir. If you're referring to last Tuesday, I was tying up my shoelace. Now. <laughs> This magazine of yours, what sort of stuff are you going to publish? We shall attack people indiscriminately without fear, favour, or the slightest regard for the truth. Our first issue will be entirely devoted to attacking A.J. Pocock. Yes, I've had my eye on him for some time. <laughs> we shall call him a fascist pig, communist dupe, and a liberal. Pretty hard-hitting stuff. <laughs> you can say that again. We shall say he's the mastermind responsible for such atrocities as purple art trafficking, racehorse doping, and ready, steady, go. <laughs> and is there any, any truth in these allegations? Surely he'll sue you for libel. Of course he will. Of course he will, wouldn't you? Well. Yes, he'll sue. He'll sue. I should think you'll get damages of thousands. But I, I don't see the point of your magazine if its sole object is to persecute a perfectly innocent man. I mean... I've never even heard of A.J. Pocock. Of course you haven't. No one has. He's my brother-in-law. <laughs> then why slander him? We've come to this agreement. I pay him 50,000 quid damages, and with the money, he founds another satirical magazine and slanders me. Then I sue him, and he sues me, and so on and so forth. Really, there can't be any profit in such an enterprise. Where's the point? Well, I thought everyone knew that. You have to sue. You've got to keep suing and suing and suing. When you're in the satire business, you've got to have a mind like a sewer. <laughs> And thank you, Mr. Toad. Well, so much for this week's edition of Trends, the section of the show designed for the young in heart. Now, something for the deaf in tone. <laughs> singing a number, singing a number from their new LP, Suddenly It's Bertrand Russell. <laughs> Here are the Fraser Hayes Four. What good's a gal without a guy? What good's a gal without a guy? What good's the moon? Without the sky. No good without the sky. What good's a moonlit night without someone to hold you tight? What good's a girl without a guy? Do, 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 do. What good's a face without a smile? Throw all your cares away. Ooh. A frown gets tedious after a Let's while. see a smile today. What good's a telephone without someone to call your own? What good's a girl without a guy? Who wants to live alone and like it? You need a man around to build up your morale. To light a match, you've gotta strike it. When you're alive and you're young, a fling has gotta be fun. What good's the mince without the pie? Ooh, what good's the fork without July? 
start wearing that baby stand perfume flowers in your head come and get it twinkle in your eye what good's a gun without a guy who wants to live alone and like it you need a man around to build up your morale to light a match you've got to strike it Without the sky What good's the fort Without your love Start wearing that baby stare The perfume flowers in your hair To come and get it Twinkle in your eye What good's a gal Without a guy, guy, guy What good's a gal Without a 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 than in, I suppose. And um, now, now, episode two of the Clissold Saga. I've fallen in love with love, for love is always new. I fell in love with love, my love, when I fell in love with you. And who will ever forget B. Clissold singing that song? <laughs> but this week we continue the radio biography of the incomparable B, Lady Counterblast, as she later became. That grand old lady of the theatre whose life story makes Fanny Hill sound like Mary Poppins. <laughs> this week I went down to her lovely old house at Chattering Parva, where she lives in seclusion, to record the second episode of her reminiscences. Two pints, please, and a yoga. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought you. Good morning. Spasm the butler, aren't you? Aye, that I be. I be the butler. That's who I be. Who be you? Well, actually, I be Kenneth Orne. Go, go back to London, young man. Go back afore it is too late. There be a bane on this house, a nameless evil. Strange things lurk here. Nameless abominations abound in this accursed dwelling, not to mention the smell from the drains. <laughs> It is said a sanitary inspector was fairly done to death here, and his ghastly specter walks abroad, still brandishing his phantom plunger as he did in life. (laughs) 
Oh, I could tell you things. I could tell you things make your ears stand up on end. Uh, perhaps not in your case. Oh, I've seen things. Don't he ask me what I've seen. Ah! Ah! Don't he ask me. Don't he ask me. Don't he ask me. Well, I hadn't intended to. <laughs> oh. Well, I've seen the mad nun of chattering power by moonlight. She comes a-riding of her white stallions and a-blowing of her phantom bagpipes. You mean she's a ghost? I hope so. <laughs> It'd be more worrying if she weren't. What business have you here, young master? I wanted to interview B. Clissold, Lady Counterblast. Remember, I was here last week. So you was, so you was. Come with me, then, Thank young you. master. This way, young master. Lady Counterblast is in here. There's a visitor for him, my lady. A mad nun of chattering papa. No, Kenneth Horn, actually. It's just a trick of the light. May I come in? Oh, hey, please do. Come and sit by me on the sofa, dear boy. No oh, spasm, spasm, dear. Leave us now, will you? We're doomed. We be doomed. I got a touch of the doom. Yes, dear. Well, keep taking the tablets. <laughs> Shut the door. That's... Now, Mr. Horn, what do you want to know? Well, last week you told me you'd been married many times. Oh, so I had many times. Many, many times. Many, many, many times. Yes, yes. Well, what I wanted to know was Excuse this. Excuse me, oh. I haven't finished. Many, many, many times. Many, many times. There. Now, last week you were telling us about your first husband, the Marquis of Tranby. I believe that soon after his death in 1892, you married again. Oh, yes, again and again. Yes, and, yes, uh, thank, uh, you, thank many, you. Many, many, yes, many times. Quite, quite. <laughs> many but, uh, times. At one time, I believe, you were married to the pioneer aviator Orville Thrust. <laughs> Was I? <laughs> oh, of course. Uh, yeah, I remember him now. <laughs> I soon got rid of... Uh, the, yes, that was... Um, that was in 1905. I recall the first time I saw him, bless him. He was covered all over in grey fur, with a little pointed nose and enormous whiskers. I beg your pardon? Yeah, was it a fancy dress ball with Lady Ransomers? He'd gone as Lewis Carroll's Dormouse. Oh, everybody was there. And in my fancy dress, I was the belle of the ball as I whirled round in the arms of a handsome young Dormouse. Oh. I haven't been able to take my eyes off you since you entered the ballroom. Come. Where are you taking me? Out onto the terrace. I must talk to you. <laughs> I have a dream, Beatrice. Would you like to tell me about your dream? Yes. <laughs> this, this may sound silly, but I believe that one day I shall be able to do what birds do. <laughs> does, does it sound far-fetched? Not far-fetched. Just kinky. <laughs> I want to fly, Beatrice. To fly. To fly has always been my ambition. You see, Beatrice, there comes a time in a man's life when he must ask himself, what am I? Where am I going? What is my purpose in being on this mortal sob? 
What? What am I, Bertrand? What are you, what? Uh, not what, not what am I, what? What am I, who? Well, who are you, what are you, who then? Ah. <laughs> if only it were that simple. And when I've answered that question, I must ask myself why. Why am I, who am I, what am I, who? I'll tell you, ecce homo. I'm a man, a simple man. And it's simple men who changed the course of destiny. What, Tyler? He was a simple man. Yes. Robert the Bruce, he was a simple man. Troilus Lackwind, he was a simple man. Who? Troilus Lackwind, my uncle. <laughs> he was a simple man. Downright stupid, he was. <laughs> he used to set fire to the living room curtains, then run out into the street in his underclothes and try and get a ride on the fire engine. <laughs> What are you trying to tell me? But just that simple men like Uncle Troilus and me can change the course of history. I'm going to build a flying machine. I want to be the first to fly the channel. But there are some things a man cannot do alone. Marry me, Beatrice, and together we'll reach the stars. And so you were married. Yes. But unfortunately, once the honeymoon was over, he became completely obsessed by his work, and he had little time for me. It was work, work, work all the time as he struggled to complete his flying machine. Pass the cylinder head, Beatty. Yes, dear. Flange bracket. Piston rings. Thank you, Beatrice. Must you work all the time, Orville, even while we're in bed? <laughs> look, look, your pyjamas are covered in sun oil. The bed's full of bits of machinery, and it's most... Ah! Ah. <laughs> My crankshaft, I've been wondering. <laughs> Orville, what's happened to all those little tendernesses you used to show me? Are we drifting apart? I'm sorry, Beatrice. I've been a blind fool all these months. Oh. Come here, darling. Oh, darling, darling, mm. darling. Will you be wanting me any more tonight, sir? And do you have to have him in bed with us? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, faithful old trust part. He's my chief mechanic. I wouldn't make a move without him. <laughs> Besides, we've got a lot of work to do. The maiden flight is the day after tomorrow. Well, I've had enough. Either Trustpot goes, or I do. I'm sorry, Trustpot. You do understand, don't you? Yes, sir. Well, I'll bid you good people good night, then. Right. All right, men, out of bed. We're knocking off. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Mr. Horn, we had our little squabbles, but taking it all in all, life was absolute hell. <laughs> but then came the great day, the day on which Orville was to attempt his channel flight. At 6.30 in the morning, we gathered on a cliff top near Dover, a small, dedicated group of pioneers. Well, Trustbot... Faithful old greasy mechanic, what do you think of her? She's a bit crude and primitive, but do you think she'll do it? Well, from what the boys tell me, she will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we'll soon find out. What's the visibility like? 
It's hard to say, sir, in all this fog. <laughs> you'll, you'll be all right, sir, once you get her up. The plane is ready, sir. Well, Beatrice, wish me luck. Good luck, Gordian. Good luck. What a tense moment it was as Orville clambered into the rude aircraft. A mechanic twirled the rude propeller. Transport made a rude gesture. <laughs> and the plane took off. Climbing and climbing, soaring higher and higher like a nostalgic angel until it was almost four feet off the ground. <laughs> but then, alas, with a sickening lurch, it veered off course into a field of cows and made a pancake landing. <laughs> poor, poor Orville. I blame myself, you know, for his sad fate. You mustn't, dear lady. Don't don't torture yourself. I feel I could have prevented it somehow. It may sound sentimental of me, but I believe he would be alive today if only I hadn't sawn through his joystick. <laughs> What a lovable old homicidal maniac she is, isn't she? Well, that episode of the B. Clissold story brings our show to a close, except for the results of the Limerick competition. As you may remember, last week we supplied the first two lines and we asked listeners to complete the Limerick. This is the winning entry from a Mrs. Ewing of Earl's Court Terrace, W8. The Bishop of Bagshot was knocked when a pretty young barmaid remarked, Do go steady, old dear, that's your eighth ginger beer. You'll forget where your mitre is parked. <laughs> well done, Mrs. Ewing. Now, the opening lines of this week's limerick are A TV contestant called Fox once opened the mystery box. All you have to do is to complete the limerick. I'll repeat the first two lines. A TV contestant called Fox once opened the mystery box. And send your entries to me, care of the BBC, London, W1. And to the sender of the best completed limerick goes the bumper prize of an evening out with Elizabeth Taylor. And this includes cocktails, theatre tickets, a dinner for two at a leading hotel and a punch in the teeth from Richard Burton. <laughs> Bye for now. See you next week. That was Round the Horn, starring Kenneth Horn, with Kenneth Williams, Hugh Paddock, Betty Marston, and Bill Pertwee. On the musical side, you heard the Fraser Hayes Four and Paul Fenelay and the Hornblowers, with incidental music composed by Edwin Brent. The script was by Barry Took and Marty Feldman, and the show is produced by John Simmons. In a skin. Thank you.